for over 130 years, McCormick has helped you make mom's lasagna to keep her secret recipe alive. Take over taco night, no matter how chaotic your day is. Conquer the bake sale, even if you get to it last minute. And craft the perfect Sunday brunch when it's not even Sunday. Because with McCormick by your side, it's going to be great. Welcome to Hysteria. I'm Erin Ryan. Grace Parr is with me this week. What's up, guys? And Megan Gailey's with me to talk about why calling Stormy Daniels a horse face is basic, why USA Gymnastics needs to get its shit together, and how Hillary Clinton should have answered that question about Monica Lewinsky. Then New York Magazine writer and author of Good and Mad, Rebecca Traster, joins me for a conversation on female rage. Later, our pals Blair and Z-Way return with a new segment. And as always, we end with the hills we'll die on. cannot believe it's already like late October. I know. I'm, I don't know what I'm going to be for Halloween. I have no, I don't even, I don't know parties. I don't know events. I don't know any. I ordered my Halloween costume yesterday. What is it? It's Elastigirl from That's The really Incredibles. Cute. That's so perfect. She's an empowered woman, but she's also wearing a lot of tight-fitting outfits. Right. And I do like that. I we also that. have the same hair. That's yeah. like when I first saw her, I was like, we both have that mom cut, but <laughs> I'm not a mom, and she is. I have a friend who's going as uh, Lindsay Lohan f- dancing in, in Nikos. Oh, wow. Like, specific, but I think it's great. I, I went as a Lohan in college. You did? Oh, yeah. Which this era? Was, oh, this was good, Lohan. This was okay. when people would be like, you look like her, and I would take it as a compliment. <laughs> I went to a party where everybody dressed as Lindsay Lohan when I lived in New York. Oh, my God. It was a Lohan-themed party. I think that sounds amazing. The most yeah. New York-y thing I've oh, ever Did anyone pick, like, a Dina? Uh no nobody oh. went as as Dina I I went as I went as sleeping in car hoodie low hair okay yeah, that's yeah, good yeah. that's comfortable it yeah. was so comfortable it was real and I had like a long red wig and it was it was great maybe I should just do that again yeah. <laughs> throwback people would just think I was a normal person though they would be like oh but there's a lady when you throw a wig on everyone's like what, what? it's something, it's something. <laughs> I don't know what it is but it's something yeah well that's I'll be something for Halloween I guess we'll see but in the meantime we got to talk about the election election day. It's Dude. So, it's so close. It's, so close. You see the finish line. It's like mile 21 of a marathon where you're like five miles left. But I can do it. I can crawl. We get it. You run. <laughs> I haven't run a marathon for a while. Really? Anyway. But you have in the past. I, yeah. It's very I, impressive. I've run, I haven't run one either. Oh. 32 years. <laughs> it's been a bit. Well, it makes your bones hurt. I'm going to go ahead and say that it makes your bones hurt. Yeah. And after you do it, you're like, I'm never doing it again. And then five minutes later, you're like, when can I do it again? I just heard about a woman that I know who had a mini heart attack after running a marathon this past weekend. Jeez. So that's a great way to Well, hopefully nobody's going to have an, a mini heart attack <laughs> after the election. The election day is so close. November 6th. Yeah. On one hand, shit's getting real. Uh, but on the other, thank God... It's finally here. Mm-hmm. It's got to push through to the final final few days, final few weeks. Lucky for you and me and everybody, Vote Save America now has everything you need to be an informed voter. They just rolled out their interactive voter guide. So good. So you can get smart about everything that's on your state ballot, ballot initiatives. A lot of them have weird numbers, and mm-hmm. they're advertised on TV with commercials that are like... And they're texting us now. Yeah. Oh, my yeah. God. I got a text last night. Are you committed? Yes or no? Yeah. It's or, invasive. I just find that ads really 
insulting to intelligence. It's like measure 106 will hurt jobs. What? What does that even mean? Yeah. I don't know what it means. Well, Vote Save America is good because it, you can see like plain English what each one means. And it's, mm-hmm. I mean, obviously it's coming from a, a company that does have a perspective, but it, we're more interested in getting people the truth and the facts than mm-hmm. we are about convincing people to vote one way or another. Like just, mm-hmm. you know, get out there and vote. Okay, so now you can fill out a copy of your ballot and you can download it and you can print it out. You can bring it with you to the polls so that when you are actually in the booth, you don't have to sit there and like read through all that stuff. Yeah. You can just kind of blaze through it. Cheat sheet. Yeah. You'll impress everybody. All the poll workers will be like, that person wow. is so fascinating. <laughs> and... You can pass it off. You can be like, I'm a speed reader and a democracy genius. <laughs> <laughs> or you can be like, I just went to vote Save America. Why didn't you? But anyway. John Legend did it. John I Legend did see. John Legend is what a national treasure that family is. That entire family. Whole family. Luna Legend. Completely. The best name. <laughs> so good. Mm-hmm. All right, let's get to the news. Um, yesterday, the president, this is such a fuck. Every once in a while, I'll black out and be <sighs> like, this is, wh- what, what? This is weird. Am I in a dream? Is this, yesterday, the president of the United States of America, the most, arguably one of the most powerful and important countries. In modern world history, the leader of that country went on Twitter and called Stormy Daniels a horse face. Not his best. No. Is my take. This is also a woman that you did very much try and have sex with multiple times. You I did, not that did have so, sex, but like, right? If I, had se- oh, yes, of course. if I had sex with someone and then afterwards they attacked how I looked, I'd be like, no, no, no. I need to, I will, I will take the ghost of your penis out of me. I don't know what I need to do to extract it from my body. Whatever sort of witchcraft. I'm I'm reading a book about Greek witchcraft right now. Really? It's really incredible. She turns bad men into pigs. <gasps> but that's what I would do. I would cast a spell on my beauty out of there. Yeah, you can't. Also, isn't that a little bit of a self-own? Like, yes, it is. If you're like, okay, so so Donald Trump had, had the, the sexual component of his his affair with her occurred when his wife, Melania, the most bullied person in the world or whatever, <laughs> uh, was uh, home with their child, their baby. Newborn. They, they just had a baby and he was out. And it doesn't really matter to me that she's like an adult film actress, but like, you know, she's somebody who is like a professional, professional in the sex industry. And so he's like out there having affairs with people who like are very publicly sexual. So he kind of, it's it's even more risky for that to be discovered and humiliate his wife. Anyway, I just don't think that it was the most creative insult. No. In fact, I came up with a list of just a few if you guys would like to hear it. Oh my God, yes. Alt, alt insults that Trump should have used. Insult alts? Insult alts. Dick Dance and Daniels. Ooh. I feel like she dances on them dicks. Sure. Mm-hmm. I think she would call herself that. Uh, totally. I think, that totally. She's, I think that she's more clever than the president. She's much oh, more clever. Yeah. A dick charmer. A, d- a dick, dick charm and stormy. I like that. <laughs> Thunder cunt stormy. <laughs> Thunder and storm, you <sighs> see. Why didn't he go in that? Because he doesn't I, have I would, good writers. I would wear a shirt that said Thunder cunt on it. Yeah. <laughs> I would, 100%. That's a great. That's, these are great Thank nicknames. You. Thank you. Well, someone had a funny tweet last night. She knows nothing about me, comma, a total con. Is he calling himself a con? <laughs> <laughs> because I think that's what um, 
grammatically, that's yeah. what's happening. Yes. He's grammatically. He doesn't know how to spell her name, and he's calling himself a con. <laughs> yeah, that was that was definitely a self own. I always think that like Olivia Nutzi tweeted this that she thinks that Donald Trump's mind works like this. Like she thinks that Donald Trump maybe vaguely remembers once reading that Stormy Daniels likes riding horses, and so he registered that because she does. She's like this oh. kind of yeah, and he must have he might have like tucked that away in one of the little dark you know, slimy recesses of his brain and then conjured that. And he was like, horse face, that's the insult for her. But Mm -hmm. who can know? Who can know? I think it's a bigger insult to insinuate that someone likes riding horses than has a horse face. Because it's very common now to be like, oh, girls that love horses are a little kooky. That's true. I don't know exactly (laughs) when that started, but it's not incorrect. I think it started in 4-H because I was in 4-H and girls who rode horses were a little kooky. Yeah. Yeah. What is 4-H? 4-H is a, it's like a club for kids who live on farms. Yeah. So what does it stand for? Horses? No. <laughs> hoop nannies? <laughs> hey. Hicks. And hoedowns. And hoedowns. <laughs> yeah. Okay. No, I think it's, the 4-H's were like head, heart, hands, and health or something hands. like that. Now, does 4-H feud with FFA? No. Oh, okay. You no. guys are all pals. Future Farmers of America. That yes. one I know. Yeah. Okay. And FHA, Future Homemakers of America, of which I was a member. Wow. Can you be part of all those groups simultaneously? Yeah. Wow. You definitely can. Can I say my real legit takeaway about the t- the, tr- the horse face thing that upsets Please. me? Um, because I've been thinking about this. Like, So Trump gives everybody that he hates a nickname, right? Mm-hmm. Some of them stick. Some of them we forget about. But did you guys see the debate last night between pa- Beto and uh, Ted Cruz? I did not. I saw people tweeting about it, but I was like, not today, Satan. <laughs> so so Beto, who is my pride and my joy, who I love, who is America's sweetheart, said he evoked Lion Ted. He said it's why the president calls Ted Trump, uh, Ted Cruz Lion Ted, and it's why the nickname stuck, because it's true. So I, I hate the fact that these nicknames have distilled down to our culture so much so that good people and good candidates and people who really should be progressing our country and moving the needle feel inclined to perpetuate those nicknames in public settings like that. That's that's That was a mistake, I think, on Beto's part and also just an, an indication of how these nicknames really do seep into our brains and make us somehow feel like it's acceptable to use them when it is not. It's not. No, it's acceptable for, like, people like me who are petty and mean, but not for the... Like, because when, when he calls her horse face, I'm like... Honey, you got to turn around at one of your rallies because that's not a good looking crew. You know, <laughs> this is this is the best woman you've laid eyes on in a while. So <laughs> consider that a gift from Stormy. Right. I, I feel as though insults work on people if you know that they'll be offended by them. Mm-hmm. Like and so that's why I'm comfortable calling our president an ugly old man. Poor. Like, yeah, a, a poor, a poor, ugly old man with a dumpy butt. Like yeah. I'm totally comfortable because it's like if if he knew that people that's what people thought about him, he would be offended. That hits right. him where it hurts. Yeah, right. a misogynist. He's like, huh? A yeah. massage? Yeah, I love massages. Yeah, racist. He doesn't really care, but like he cares about looks, Appearance, and so right. that's like what you insult people as. But it's sort of a like you know when we go when they go yeah. low, we go that's, high. That something. was my takeaway. It's that simple. It's, like, it's simpletons. Yeah, yeah. I just I I I my takeaway was like Beto, come on, you you don't need that. We we love you exactly as you are, and evoking Trump is not. Good. I well, wish you'd called him the Zodiac Killer. Then I would have been, <laughs> really been awesome. Speaking of Beto, he is uh, scheduled to be the interview on this Friday's Pod Save America <gasps> on HBO right. wow. in Austin, right? In Austin, so everybody should tune into that. Um, yeehaw! Because yeah, yeehaw indeed. <laughs> Hoot nannies. <laughs> Hoot nannies. That's the fourth H. Yeah, right. <laughs> all right, so we have to transition to something much more serious, and uh, that's something that I, we've all I think wanted to talk about on the show before, but political news keeps happening, but now it's sort of time to to get into this. 
USA Gymnastics has not had uh, a good few years, a good few decades, really, behind the scenes. But, mm-hmm. you know, publicly, it's it's had a really bad few years, and all of that's culminated in the last few months that have been it's been very chaotic and and rightfully so mm-hmm. less than a week after taking over as interim president for USA Gymnastics former US representative Mary Bono has stepped down from from the job this comes on the heels of the organization struggling to recover from the Larry Nasser scandal so if you guys um, can remember Larry Nasser uh, he it was hundreds Doctor, hundreds yeah. of girls mm-hmm. uh, who were uh, athletes who trusted him to take care of them um, he he just I think he was his trial just happened and he he was shielded by Michigan State he was shielded by US gymnastics and it was just it's it's awful um but his survivors have been standing up and speaking out and refusing to back down and it's been sort of a a moment in in the history of of people affiliated with sports who are abusing the athletes but Mary Bono was was kind of appointed to to head USA Gymnastics to kind of help clean up the mess and move them forward. But she just kept shitting the bed. Uh-huh. She uh, sent a weird tweet about Colin Kaepernick and Nike. And then also she had in the past worked for a law firm that had helped the U.S. gymnastics organization craft false statements about Larry Nassar. Um, about where he was and why he wasn't. Yeah. Present at certain events, yeah, yeah. Well, yeah. Well, Bono was employed at uh, Fair. I can't pronounce the name of this place. Fairjay Baker Daniels. Well, Bono was employed <clears throat> there. Another lawyer at the firm worked directly with U- USA Gymnastics, making up excuses for Nasser. It was awful, and it took USA Gymnastics more than a month to fire Nasser. So mm-hmm. he, you know, it, the allegations came out against him, and USA Gymnastics was like, "Well, what do we do? Mm-hmm. What do we do? anyway?" It's pretty egregious, and Grace, I know that you have pretty strong feelings about this. What are you thinking? Yeah, I want to give a shout out to my friend Liz, who is a former Division One gymnast herself, and and she's she's uh, really invested in the sport and this whole story, and she's kind of been keeping me updated over the past few months, and she's kind of been my source for this. And you know, the the reality is like this is just so upsetting for these young women on a number of levels, but one of them is like. When you are so distracted by the politics of the people governing your sport, you can't focus on the sport itself. And these young women have a very, very limited window where they can achieve their athletic best just by virtue of the demands that gymnastics puts on your body. So imagine being like, you know, you're you're a teenager and you're having to listen to all the politics of this that are happening while simultaneously having to perform at your best. And right now, the gymnastics uh, team is preparing for world championships. So they're getting ready for a really huge milestone in their like kind of four your trajectory leading to the uh, the Olympics. Um, and it's distracting, you know, it's distracting to them, very understandably so. And I think the point was made that I think is really valid, which is why is it that of the USAG board, there's still some members that harken back from the, the Nasser era, like they haven't completely cleaned house, which is very strange. And second, as far as like rehabilitation goes, which I think really should be the focus here, why not bring an athlete like an Ali Raisman or like a Simone Biles to the board itself? Somebody who's younger, somebody who's been in the sport for a while, and somebody who's kind of been at the forefront of all of these allegations so that you prevent this kind of stuff from happening in the future. These are things that haven't been taking place, and a lot of it is because they haven't been able to find a leader that that prioritizes the girls and the way that they're being treated over anything else. I mean, do you think that they think that it's just going to go away? I I think Mm -hmm. I got the impression that like prior to I've seen a lot of organizations and people sort of in this kind of Me Too era 
act as though if they just kind of are quiet for like eight months, everyone will have <laughs> forgotten about it. It's sort of like if you fart and then you don't make a move, like yeah. it just won't make well, it, no one will know. I, I mean, it, that kind of happens in sports. There have been sports Me Too stories that have happened and there have been firings at, at places that fall under this greater quote unquote sports sports umbrella and you hear of those firings you go oh well that's a different world mm-hmm. it's kind of like how Hollywood you're like yeah but everybody's kind of fucked up there you know like mm-hmm. I think people think of that as like you know sports they play by their own rules and it's nasty and dirty and like that's just what happens this is like literally close to home the Indianapolis Star my hometown newspaper was the newspaper that broke the story on Larry Nassar they did all of the investigative reporting to like have this happen USAG is headquarters in Indianapolis um, I'm very familiar with this law firm as well. And I, I wrote for the ESPYs this year, and the last 45 minutes was dedicated to a story about all of the survivors. And it was very, like, incredible. And, and it, you know, it was shot documentary style. And then at the end, 150, 200 women came out, walked from every single exit entrance in Microsoft Theater to cover the stage. Mm -hmm. And it very much was a moment of like, you are going to fucking look at us. Mm -hmm. You are not going to sit there under this umbrella of fear and looking the other way. You have to look at us right now. And it was so moving and and also heartbreaking in the sense of we would walk by the room that they were all sort of like hanging out in before they were doing it. And you would just hear girls laughing. And it's like, these are young girls all the way up to women who are now 40 and have started their own family. Like it was such, it it spanned decades Mm -hmm. and it affected so many people. And you're right. The people at the forefront of it, the Allie Raismans, all of these women are, have truly, and you could see in their statements they made at his sentencing. These are very, very powerful voices that I don't think are going to go away. Mm -hmm. And instead of USGA turning away from them, they should turn towards them. These are also Olympic gold medalists. These are not like, these are not people that underperformed. They Mm -hmm. performed at the highest level given the worst circumstance. Like you should embrace them instead of trying to have this racist woman send out crazy tweets about Colin Kaepernick. What the fuck are you doing? That's not the point of this organization right now. You have black superstars in rain right now. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I mean, we also have Simone Biles is like arguably the most dominant gymnast in, in like women's gymnastics Mm -hmm. history. Mm -hmm. And she, she's being really outspoken about it. I think the bravery of the athletes that refuse to back down and that, like you said, Megan, are forcing people to look at them. I think it's it's really incredible. And also, yeah, they're they're like a lot of them are like girls. Yeah. Actual girls that yeah. are standing up and, and facing this. And I mean, I, I think that, that my takeaway from all of this is that the that USAG doesn't understand that this isn't going away. Like those girls one thing I will say that that I think Gymnasts are tough. That is what you have to be mm-hmm. in order to do it. You have to push your body to unimaginable places of like pain and you have to go beyond what you think you're capable of doing. These girls can fucking hang. Mm-hmm. They can withstand things that are much tougher than than anything that these people, that these kind of suits, these USAG officials mm-hmm. think that they can subject them to. These these girls are not going away. They're mm-hmm. tenacious and we're with you guys. Uh, we're we're hoping that USAG gets their shit together and and doesn't punish the athletes and that we can uh, kind of move forward from this in a positive way. 
Coming up, my interview with Rebecca Traster. I am super excited about our guest this week. Rebecca Traster is a writer at large for New York Magazine and a contributing editor at Elle. A National Magazine Award finalist, she has written about women in politics, media, and entertainment from a feminist perspective for The New Republic and Salon, and has also contributed to The Nation, The New York Observer, The New York Times, The Washington Post, Vogue, Glamour, and Mary Claire. She's the author of All the Single Ladies and the award-winning Big Girls Don't Cry. She now has a new book out called Good and Mad, The Revolutionary Power of Women's Anger. Pretty zeitgeisty topic. And on a personal note, Rebecca is somebody whose work I've always admired and who's always just been wonderful toward me and other female writers, and uh, even when I was just a baby writer working part-time at a blog. First of all, I have your book in front of me right now. Great. Good and Mad. And I noticed the cover jacket has a swear very subtly on it. Mm. Um, It is more subtle than it was originally going to be. Really? What was it originally going to look like? It was just originally going to be kind of gray against the white. Mm -hmm. And um, there was a lot of back and forth within my publishing house about (laughs) the impact that that might have. So you were pushing for a more overt fuck on your book or a less I was, overt fuck? I wanted to title the book Fuck You, You Fucking Fucks. That was my actual <laughs> proposed title. Um, oh. And it was rejected, <laughs> which I feel was a marketing error because there's that book that's like always on the bestseller list What with the subtle art of not giving a fuck. I'm like, fuck is very popular right now. <laughs> well, the fact that you... Weren't allowed to call your book something with fuck in it. And I think the subtle art of not giving a fuck was written by a man. Pretty much pro- right. proves your thesis of, of your <laughs> book, Good and Mad. So my question for you is, I think that you and I both kind of run in similar circles. And I think that we have similar conversations with people. And I noticed that people started to get mad, like really, really mad right around the election. But it could have happened before. When did you first notice that this next this latest spike in female anger was occurring well the the first big spike i mean well i I mean i saw spikes in anger happening in the years in the end of the obama administration right so well first of all there was occupy that was pretty mad Mm -hmm. um uh there's black lives matter that was pretty mad there there was anger as slut walks the movement to address rape culture and uh, the activism on college campuses around sexual, the pervasiveness of sexual assault, all that stuff was a kind of like bubbling feminist fury, a conversation within feminism that was happening like around lean in about do we have these individual solutions coming from corporate CEOs or do we like break the fucking system? And I should note, by the way, that like I was among the people who was like, yeah, lean in, it's, uh, it's fine. You know, like it's it's fine. It's a feminist business book. And there was a lot of fury at anybody who was positive about Lean In being like, no, this can't come from the Facebook COO or whatever she is. Like this has to this is like we have to overturn capitalism. And I, you know, and I think that that was an indication of a kind of fury that like I agree with. Mm-hmm. <laughs> right. We do have to change the system. But then the big spike I saw was in the weeks right before the 2016 election. Mm-hmm. After the Access Hollywood tape. And I sort of think that we forget about that because a year later, like literally to the week with the publication of the Weinstein story in The New York Times, then we got the sort of four month flood of hashtag Me Too. And we forget that there was this period before the 2016 election 
where there was there was then too a massive hashtag campaign and and women telling stories of the first time they were groped or assaulted or harassed and i had conversations in that month leading up to the election with women i knew who for the first time were kind of wheeling around on their cat collars and being like you can't talk to me that way anymore and men telling me my god i had no idea i had a senator tell me my wife told me she's been groped on the subway i just had no idea i'm like dude Literally, everybody's been groped on the subway. <laughs> yeah. I mean, that's something that's been interesting about this particular moment, because you're you're right that there have been kind of little little bumps in things. And the Kavanaugh, the Kavanaugh hearings seem like they brought out a, a particular uh, ferocity of, of rage. It seems like every time this happens, women bring up their stories and tell men like, hey, this actually happened to me. This happened to your friend, to your sister, to your wife, to your girlfriend, whatever. And it seems like men just kind of forget. Do you think they do? Do you think they do? I'm so glad that you said this (laughs) because this has been one of the head scratching things for me. So there was that eruption before the election. And and literally, I had that conversation with the senator and I had it with so many men. I had it with, you know, my own husband, who is pretty aware of how pervasive these things are. And like men saying, like, God, I just didn't know. And oh, this is so revelatory. And then you fast forward to the to the next year, literally the same week the next year. And there's me too. And again, men, and that's a much longer and more sustained eruption of mm-hmm. of stories. And that was a very intense time for everybody. And so many men saying like, oh my God, I had no idea. And I'm like, but we did have this conversation a year ago, a year right? Ago. Like this, this yeah. actual conversation. And then it's just happened again exactly a year later around the Kavanaugh hearings where we're getting, and, and to be fair, this behavior is so ubiquitous that there's just an ever replenishing source of women who have never yet told their stories of how they've been assaulted or harassed or grabbed or groped or rubbed up against or discriminated against at work um, or diminished or demeaned. Right. So there is like, yes, you may you're still hearing stories from women who hadn't previously told their stories. So that is fair enough that there's a whole new crop of women who told stories, especially about the kind, the particular kind of assault that Christine Blasey Ford described, the sort of high school drunken um, physical assault and a lot of older women telling those stories for the first time. So, okay, fair enough. There's always new women telling new stories that you haven't heard before. But once again, it was men often saying, I just don't think we had any idea Mm -hmm. how common this behavior was. And it's like, no, we had this talk. Mm -hmm. We had this talk. I mean, I understand why you'd want to title the book. What was it? Fuck you, you fucking fuck. Fuck you, you (laughs) fucking fucks. Yeah, that was. (laughs) Uh, Because it almost seems like, guys, how are you? How are you forgetting this? I I was thinking as I was looking at your book yesterday that I bought it like the only bookstore that I can find in my neighborhood because this is Los Angeles and we don't have books. (laughs) Um, I was I was looking at your book yesterday and thinking about how it it's either I don't want to say lucky, but the timing of this book's release is is so in this moment of female anger. And there's no way you possibly could have known how angry people would be at this moment about this thing. And I wanted to ask you, are you psychic or does this just happen all the time? <laughs> well, right. So this is actually uh, something that I feel really fraught and torn about, right? Because you're right. Like, this is some spectacular book publishing timing. But guess what? Like, it actually feels... It, it feels really complicated to be selling books, <laughs> Off of, you know, the 
the strangling of democracy mm-hmm. <laughs> and the horror and pain and fury. There are a couple things I would say. While I was writing the book, I wrote it very quickly. And I wrote it very quickly because things were happening so fast over the course of the year, the year and a half of, you know, the the early part of the Trump administration from the Women's March to the to the travel ban protest to the women candidates running to Me Too to the teacher strikers. And as I was writing it, I was like every week it felt like, oh, my God, if only my book were out now, mm-hmm. um, not just for my own like personal and professional gain, but because like so much of what I was writing about, I was actually trying to offer a tool and a context to try to explain like this anger that's bubbling up, whether it's through striking or protest or running for office, this is politically consequential anger. This isn't like a trend story or like ladies are pissed, you know, as a kind of quirky function of this period in American history. This is actually a political storyline with potential social and political consequences long term. And I really wanted the book to try to put that in context historically and looking forward. And so there were so many instances where I was like, I wish the book were out now because so much of the discourse wasn't sort of getting that, that this is part of a very big picture of women participating in various forms of insurrection. And so there were other instances. And then even after it was done, but it was in the publishing stage this summer, like when people were interrupting during the immigration protest and there was the whole civility battle mm-hmm. and With the red you know, restaurant and don't ask Sarah Huckabee the restaurants Sanders and the party leaders were telling Maxine Waters not to encourage and and so much and there's a lot in my book about Maxine Waters as having always for her whole career understood the political import and validity of civil disobedience and and fury of the disempowered going back to the 90s in the insurrection, what she called an insurrection after the Rodney King riots. And I was like, no, 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 this is what my book is about. I wish my book were out now. And there were all so there have been many instances. And I think that speaks to how powerful women's rage and its many forms that's bubbling out the power and sustainability of it in this moment that it's felt like there have been a million different news cycles that I had wished that my book was out for, but then maybe I got the mother of them all, although I suppose we haven't, we, we don't even know the peaks yeah. of, of anger that are to come. Yeah, I mean, every single time I've been like, well, this is the worst week ever. It's like, no, 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 <laughs> hold my beer. Things are going to get a little worse to very much worse. You've mentioned, you know, I think there's something comfortable or comforting about knowing that waves of anger have produced social change. Mm -hmm. Uh, What are some, I think, I guess, of your, of the things that you found and that you wrote about in the book that you have found to be the most encouraging and undersung? Well, you know, thinking about the labor movement in this country, I think that we are so often taught about a labor movement and offered a popular vision of a labor movement that is a very white male movement. It's coal miners and teamsters. Now, there is teacher unionism, um, which is sort of in its own category, and we know it to be politically consequential. And that is, you know, that is a, a unionism within a women's profession. But otherwise, when we think of the American labor movement, I think we're often led to think of white men. And one of the remarkable things that I discovered, it was actually while I was writing my last book about unmarried women, um, 
was that the young women laboring in the Lowell textile mills in New England in the 1830s staged some of the first walkouts protesting the working conditions and low wages that they were being paid that were some of the first iterations of what would become the labor movement. And they did this at the same time that they were forming one of the first women's abolition societies in the United States. They formed one of the first unions. Um, and I have never was taught about the sort of roots of a labor movement with in, with women workers. And the same thing is true, by the way, in the 1880s, there's the Atlanta washerwomen's strike, mm-hmm. which basically shuts down the city of Atlanta. And it's right after, I mean, it's in the years after abolition. And the largely black washing women who, laundresses, who work in unbearably hot and and unhealthy and dangerous conditions strike. And they actually go out and recruit uh, workers from other professions and address the very small percentage of white washerwomen Um, in the city and recruit them to join them in their labor protest. Then in the early 20th century, you have the textile workers, often immigrant, young immigrant women in New York City, Clara Lemlich, who calls for the strike of 20,000 shirtwaist workers that actually winds up producing new labor agreements with most of the shirtwaist manufacturers in New York City in 1909. And one of the ones that doesn't come to the agreement with the strikers is the Triangle Shirtwaist Factory, which burns and kills 146 people in 1911. And Two of the women who witnessed that fire, Rose Schneiderman, um, a radical labor organizer on the Lower East Side, who gives one of the angriest speeches I have ever read. I cannot recommend enough (laughs) that people go and read Rose Schneiderman's call to like a people's, a workers movement that happens that she gives in the at a memorial service after the Triangle Shirtwaist Factory. And she basically is like, fuck you to everybody in this room. She's like, girls are burned alive in this city every week. And I cannot come to rely on you. We need a workers movement. And she devotes the rest of her life to this. And Frances Perkins, who witnesses the fire, she winds up working with Schneiderman and with Al Smith on drafting some of the workplace safety regulations. Some of them are still in place today. Mm -hmm. And it just blows my mind (laughs) that we are not taught to acknowledge the role that livid women played in remaking our country, its laws, its regulations. Um, We're just not taught to value those women and their contributions to organizing and political change, many of which stemmed from their absolute rage at inequality. Mm -hmm. Do you think that, that the denigrating of those women comes from people who are interested financially in preserving the status quo? Absolutely. There's a great value in silencing women's anger because women's anger does can be communicative. It can lead them to find each other and discover that they agree about the things that they're furious about and then organize to change those things. And so there's a tremendous incentive for people who don't want things to be changed, people who have the power to discourage women from showing their anger. And that shows up in all the different ways in which women's anger is denigrated. It's like a daily thing that you and I experience. Like we're told that if we express ourselves with anger, people won't listen to us. We'll sound too emotional. We'll sound irrational. We'll be crazy. Orrin Hatch called the protesters in the Senate hearing room loudmouths and said we shouldn't have to deal with this. A Fox News commentator just referred to the women who were screaming and yelling in protest during the Kavanaugh vote as screaming animals. Donald Trump and Marco Rubio have called them a mob. Um, Donald Trump compared them to arsonists. There is a way in which women's anger is so discouraged. We're told that it will pervert and deform us, that we'll be unattractive to people, that we'll sound crazy and infantile and threatening. And all of that is with a purpose because they don't want us to express that anger. 
Uh, so what you're saying is that everybody should just continue to be mad and get and get madder because that's the only way that things actually change. I'm actually saying a slight inverse of that. Okay. Because because I do want to be clear about the penalties out there for women who do express their anger. And of course, those penalties are steeper and different for women with different levels of economic stability, um, women of different races, so that actually just raging on and expressing your anger can backfire. It's not wrong, right? Like if you if you are furious about something at work and you tell your boss, you might not get that promotion and you might get a reputation for being difficult. And if you're a woman of color who's arrested for no reason and you are reasonably, rationally livid about it, but you would express that, you put yourself at risk for incarceration, imprisonment, injury, death. So I'm not just telling people to rage. What I'm actually asking is that we listen to the rage around us and that we take it seriously and that we understand that it's point. it may be pointing us to things that need to be fixed, that it is politically consequential, instructive, and diagnostic. So it's about listening and taking seriously and being curious about why so many women are angry. Well, Rebecca, thank you so much for your time. Um, Good and Mad is a spectacular book. The book jacket is amazing, and I'm sorry it couldn't be called <laughs> Fuck You, You Fucking Fucks, because that's incredible. <laughs> but in my heart, it's called that. It's going that's, to be- In my heart, it's called that. <laughs> <laughs> thank you so much, and uh, I'll talk to you soon. Thanks, Erin. And welcome back. This, uh, I guess, election season, voting season, campaign season, whatever, this hell season that we're in, (laughs) uh, Hysteria has been focusing on some positives Mm -hmm. by spotlighting some female candidates we're excited about, ballot measures that you should know about in different states. Last week, we talked about reproductive rights that are on the ballot in a few different places. This week, we're going to talk about gubernatorial candidates. There are currently 16 women running for governor in the U.S., including incumbents. 16. There's 50 states, 16 (laughs) women running. If that sounds like not much, it's because it's not much at all, but it's also a lot. It's Mm -hmm. unprecedented. Um, More women than ever are running for governor this year. You've probably heard of Stacey Abrams in Georgia or Paulette Jordan of Idaho, but here are a couple more that you might not have heard of. Grace, going to throw to you. Oh, yeah, baby. Catch it. Who's a Laura Kelly fan out there? Oh, yeah. I'm a Laura Kelly fan. (laughs) Me too. Me too. Looking at y'all from Kansas right now. So incumbent Republican Governor Sam Brownback is vacating the seat because he's term limited. So competing to replace him are Republican Chris Kobach. Boo. Boo. He's the worst. Big boo. (laughs) Democrat Laura Kelly, who we're featuring here today, and independent Greg Orman. So Laura, Ms. Kelly, is a member of the Kansas Senate. She's currently serving as a Senate Assistant Minority Leader. She's a strong advocate for education. And in 2009, she pushed for the creation and funding of the Early Childhood Block Grants to ensure that more kids enter kindergarten ready to learn. Amazing. That's great. Uh, mm-hmm. Now, Kobach, on the other hand, current Secretary of State, Uh, And he is infamously known for leading Trump's Presidential Advisory Commission on Election Integrity, which, as we know, was nothing more than an attempt to back up Republicans' unfounded claims of voter fraud. Surprising to no one, they found 0% fraud. Um, Kobach barely won the primary, but once he was officially the Republican nominee, this race went from solidly Republican to a toss-up, which is really good news for Kelly. So I think that this might signal people don't like Kobach. Yeah, he's deeply unlikable. Yeah. <laughs> yes. He is a deeply unlikable man yeah. who has who has like been driven insane with his own xenophobia. Mm-hmm. He's got a bad haircut. 
<sighs> Elect Laura Kelly. What a tough candidate to <laughs> want to get behind. I mean, Yikes. it's like running against a, a pile of dog poop filled with broken glass. But, you know, it would vote for a tax cut. So maybe. <laughs> um, all right. What's up, Megan? I am in Michigan. You are? Hello. Yeah. I'm enjoying a tasty cherry pie right now. Gretchen Whitmer. The Democratic nominee in Michigan. The seat is being vacated by Republican Rick Snyder, who is also term limited. She is running against Republican Bill Shooty. <laughs> That's, That's funny. His name. Shooty. It's not spelled that way, but it's pronounced that way. Whitmer is a former member of both the state house and Senate, where she served as the Democratic leader. Uh, during her time in there, she negotiated to expand health coverage to more than 680,000 Michiganders through Healthy Michigan. She also negotiated a raise in minimum wage, which went up for the fourth time this year. After her time in the legislature, she ended up serving as the Ingham County Prosecutor, she stepped in because it was a scandal that forced the previous prosecutor to resign. What a shock. <laughs> During that time, she established a new domestic violence and sexual assault unit to go after abusers. Her opponent, Shooty, is Michigan's current attorney general and has used that position to argue against marriage rights for the LGBTQ community and has also ignored complaints of sexual assault by inmates. Ugh, Seems like kind of a no-brainer here <laughs> yeah. to us. Yeah. Um, he also has sort of flip-flopped on this issue. He was against expanding Medicaid in the state, and then the current governor implemented it, and it has become wildly popular. So guess what? Now he likes it, too. Oh, fancy. Uh, so yeah. if we could all just say that you shouldn't sexually assault inmates, maybe he would get on that bandwagon as well. Uh, Whitmer has a good chance of flipping the seat as long as voters turn out. Michigan, get to the Michigan. polls. Michigan. Michigan. I believe in Michigan. Me I think too. Michigan can do some good stuff. I also think Gretchen Whitmer sounds like such a perfect Michigan name. Mm -hmm. I like that. That's <laughs> very know? sweet. That yeah. is very sweet. All right. So Gretchen Whitmer in Michigan and Laura Kelly in Kansas. If you're in either of those states, make sure to tell all your friends to vote. If you're not in either of those states, find out your friends who are and, and talk to them about those gubernatorial candidates. One other thing I wanted to add is you'll notice a lot of the people that are running for governor previously occupied positions like secretary of state or attorney general mm -hmm. in Georgia, for example, which uh, our friends Blair and Z-Way are going to talk about in Georgia, the person running for governor against Stacey Abrams is the secretary of state, which means he has a say over how elections play out in the state. Mm -hmm. And so it's really important for people voting locally, voting in their state election to know who's running for AG, who's running for secretary of state and make a make a good decision because those people are pulling the levers. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So you got to got to pay attention. It also matters big time, like how districts are drawn and like attempts at gerrymandering like yeah. that happens at the state level and affects all of the national elections as well mm -hmm. gotta pay attention sorry it's gonna take a lot of energy but you just, you you just gotta do it, do it. Save America. America. get your cheat sheet get that cheat sheet hysteria is brought to you by viore tired of boring workout gear check out viore viore's versatile and comfy products are designed to look great in and outside the gym whether you're running training or even just Lying on your couch, enjoying the fact that your two-year-old child is leaving you alone for five blessed minutes. I love or, that for Viore. Is that, you know what? That seems like a real perk of Viore. <laughs> it is. It's perfect. It's cut perfectly for lying down and just savoring a moment to be left alone. It's great. 
<laughs> five the, stars. No five, comment. 100% great. That's the type that's my favorite sport. The new the women's performance jogger is the softest jogger you'll ever own. Grab one of these new colors before they sell out and check out the women's daily legging which features a high waist drawstring tie and upgraded no slip fit. All things that are absolutely essential in a legging. Essential. Uh, I love these leggings. They are cuz you know like not everybody's the same. You know, so mm-hmm. it's like I need a little bit more room around my booty. So I size up a little bit, but then it's it's usually too big in my waist. And so now I just just pull that drawstring. And I don't show I don't show any crack when I bend over. (laughs) Congratulations. Thank you so much. Thank you so much. See, you have your baby and I have my butt crack. (laughs) (laughs) For guys, there's the men's core short, the most comfy lined athletic short out there, and the men's Sunday performance jogger. Oh my gosh, Alyssa, my brother, who I have given Viore performance gear to won an ultra marathon over the holidays. I saw that. That is so incredible. He ran 80 miles in the freezing cold. I don't think he was wearing his Viore core shorts because that would be dangerous. Dangerous. But, but he he loves wearing them to train, and uh, I'm so proud of him. I'm so pr- Viore played a role in his ultra marathon win. <laughs> Uh, plus, Viore is 100% offsetting their carbon footprint and reducing and offsetting 100% of their plastic footprint from 2019 onwards. Viore is an investment in your happiness. For our listeners, they're offering 20% off your first purchase. Get yourself some of the most comfortable and versatile clothing on the planet at viore.com hysteria. That's V-U-O-R-I dot com slash hysteria. Not only will you receive 20% off your first purchase, but enjoy free shipping on any U.S. orders over $75 and free returns. Go to viore.com slash hysteria and discover the versatility of Viore clothing. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. With the internet's best converting checkout, 36% better on average compared to other leading commerce platforms, Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers. In fact, Shopify powers 10% of all e-commerce in the U.S. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash podcast free. All lowercase, shopify.com slash podcast free, shopify.com slash podcast free. Your business was humming, but now you're falling behind. Your teams are buried in manual work, tasks are taking forever to complete, and getting one source of truth is like pulling teeth. If this is you, then you should know these three numbers, 37,000. That's the number of businesses that have upgraded to NetSuite by Oracle. NetSuite is the number one cloud financial system, streamlining accounting, financial management, inventory, HR, and more. 25. NetSuite turns 25 this year. That's 25 years of helping businesses do more with less, close their books in days, not weeks, and drive down costs. One, because your business is one of a kind. Get a customized solution for all your key performance indicators in one efficient system with one source of truth. Manage risk, get reliable forecasts, and improve margins. With NetSuite, it's everything you need to grow, all in one place. Get your business back to the greatness where it belongs. Learn more at netsuite.com slash podcast 25. Okay, we're back with Personal Political this week. We're going to get political and personal in, God, 
This is something that made me want to just kind of lie down flat on my face on the ground and, <laughs> and not move for five minutes because it was like, how is this still something that this person doesn't get? Have you seen that picture of that pug laying down like that with his t- like tiny little wiener sticking up into the air? <laughs> Big mood. Yeah. Big mood for me. Um, on Sunday, Hillary Clinton was interviewed on CBS's Sunday morning and offered up some surprising new comments about her husband. Actually, not really that surprising new no. comments because they were kind of rehashing of old comments. I I'm not surprised, but I am disappointed uh, about her husband's affair with Monica Lewinsky. When asked whether she felt her husband, former president of the United States, abused his power by having an affair with Monica Lewinsky, she said no. Added that Lewinsky, quote, was an adult when it happened. Later, she was asked if her husband should have stepped down after the scandal, and she said absolutely not. Then in a very Trumpian move, she pivoted the conversation to Trump's scandals. She said, but let me ask you this. Where is the investigation of the current incumbent against whom numerous allegations have been made and which he dismisses, denies, and ridicules? Okay. Megan, what did you think about this moment and Hillary Clinton's uh, continued refusal to see how there was anything wrong with what happened? So I have, like, a lot of friends who are bad. Um, And I don't mean, like, bad people, but bad in the sense of you'd have to, like, give them a talking to before you, like, brought them to a black tie event. You know, they might get a little wild. Uh But they're my asshole. You know, like, I'm loyal to them because I'm like, they're my girl forever. And Hillary continues to disappoint and enrage me. But I'm like, but you know what? She's my asshole. Uh, (laughs) and, And, well, it's just so hard because we... We, as as this self-aware group of the population, have to constantly be like, why did they do that? This Elizabeth Warren DNA. It's like this constant, like, disappointment because we are self-aware and we do have self-reflection. And the Republicans just get to do none of that. Uh-huh. They just get to be like, yep, I don't know. Lindsey Graham said another racist, crazy thing, but that's our guy. And so I've decided that that's how I'm going to be now. I'm going to have no... Well, no, I have to have some because then I am deeply upset. But I just don't know. She makes it so hard to to defend her. And I do. I really do love her. And I think she is so valuable in so many ways. And so then I want to be like, can you just stop interviewing her? Can you just interview someone else. I, I liked Hillary right right after the election where she was like in the woods and we maybe saw her with yeah. like a, a cape, you know, taking long walks in uh, in in the woods. And maybe she like had, I think she had dinner with like Kate McKinnon and there was like a photo shoot and it was like, oh, what could they be talking about? And it was beautiful. And now this kind of stuff happens and it's very disappointing. It's very disappointing. And I'm not about silencing women by any means, except for when they need to be silenced. <laughs> and and I just, I uh, man, this just is- Just stop asking her questions. Just, uh, I, I I think I think Hill Dog, you gotta you gotta just you gotta Her PR team should be like, we're done actually. We're done yeah. forever. I just I think that this is not I don't think Hillary Clinton is the only person that has these views. Like in the mm-hmm. I think that this is a generational thing mm-hmm. too. And and it's sort of reflective. I read this piece in The Guardian. I for, I'm forgetting right now off the top of my head who wrote it. But this person who wrote the piece in The Guardian pointed out that it's a reflection of of a belief that some women matter and some women don't. And that Monica Lewinsky, um, her her what happened to her life doesn't really matter. There was nothing exploitative about that relationship because she's not an entity that is somebody who matters. And right. I, I can I see that point. I also think like, you know, a lot of people in maybe my our mother's generation see Monica. You know, twenty two, twenty three. We we know what that is. It's different than it was when they were young. And Mm -hmm. I think they see Monica as somebody who is like fully an adult and that women who uh, have affairs with married men are doing so of their own volition and they deserve whatever fallout they get from it. But 
I I just I, she's wrong. Mm -hmm. She's wrong here. I also do think it's tricky because she is being asked about her husband. So like once again, a woman is having to answer for the bad behavior of a man. And yes, she's co-signing it, which is terrible. Mm -hmm. But like this happened, this comes up in me too all the time. Of like mm -hmm. Camille we're, Cosby, we're having to wear. Black at the Golden Globes. Like, we're having to... I mean, that, that's, like, the least offensive <laughs> thing we're being at. But, I mean, Megan truly, had a beautiful I, red sheath she was going to wear. Honestly, I would have worn cobalt blue, you know? <laughs> like, I want to make my eyes pop, but because someone can't keep their dick in their pants, I got to be dressed like I'm at a fucking funeral? It's bullshit. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, you're right about her always being asked to answer for men who fucked up. I mean, that's just something... I mean, even Donald Trump, like, women... The women are in the spotlight. And, Ivanka, Melania, they are asked to, like, defend his bad behavior. And instead of going to the source and being like, hey, for once, why don't you defend your bad behavior? Also, here's what she's not doing. She's not talking about how it affected her. And that's something that I've, I've always felt is a missed opportunity from Hillary Clinton. She had an opportunity to say, like, hey... Women out there who've been cheated on, here's what it felt like from my perspective. Here's how it sucks. And if you've been there, I've been there too. Mm -hmm. And 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 here's what it's like when when this other woman, the Monicas of the world, raise in popularity and become this beacon. And it's it's hurtful to me in this way. And if you make it personal, I think, again, the segment is called personal political. Like, Hillary should fucking be, yeah. do her own personal political <laughs> segment. Then, then I think at least she's leaning into the reality of what happened. But she's just not being real about what happened and what she feels. And I think it's, a, it's just a missed opportunity and a missed way to connect with voters. And by the way, that kind of distancing is what happened in 2016 and made women feel like she's yeah. not approachable. Yeah. If she came out and was like, listen, of course course I wanted to divorce him. Mm -hmm. I wanted to leave him immediately, but I wanted to be president and was going to be president and then Russia stole it from me. We'd all go, "Yes, queen." Exactly, Thank you. exactly, wow. exactly. What? But none of that transparency has ever been there for her and it continues to not be there. And that's yeah. why this this was so disappointing to hear. I also think like the 90s were fucking wild. We were so awful to women in the 1990s. Monica <laughs> Lewinsky is I think an icon and yeah. a really incredible woman and despite the entire world trying to burn her down. She's still here and she's like a great writer at Vanity Fair. She's uh, she's this great advocate. She's still being very public about anti-bullying. She's really, a, she's a wonderful public figure and we did her dirty. Yeah. We did her wrong. And I am so, uh, I'm so upset that Hillary doesn't seem to, to see the part that her, uh, her, I guess the machine that she was a part of played in that because Hillary and Bill were a political team mm -hmm. and they worked in tandem to silence the women that accused Bill of sexual misconduct. And that's something that, and, and, and they worked in tandem to, to start what happened to Monica. You know, it, it, it was, it was horrible. It was horrible what happened to her. Mm -hmm. And um, she was forced into it too. Yeah, she, this was not something. I mean, like she was like tricked by a friend. Yeah, yeah. Linda no Tripp, one, worst friend ever. Yeah, it was never in question that Monica Lewinsky was an adult. By the way, either that's yeah. the, what was so strange about that comment from Hillary. Like, what? Well, no one's accused Bill of pedophilia. Like, what are you? What are you talking yeah. about? I, if I was her, truly, I'd be like, Bill's here. Let's get him. Yeah, he can talk. Yeah. If you want to ask about that situation, but like, you're right. She did play a part in it, definitely. But I do think it is unfair to continue to ask her to pay for the shittiness of her husband. Yeah, I think I think that's fair. Um, but I but I also think that like we I'm just so disappointed that she doesn't see she doesn't see how she was an adult, but she doesn't understand that that dynamic in a relationship is like totally not OK. Right. It's but, like, but, but you know who did? Bill. 
Yeah, Bill did. I, do you think she really believes this? Who, I don't know. Hillary? Because it seems easier, especially given the climate of what is happening now, to not believe this. To be like, yeah, there was a power dynamic. He was president. I feel like it's like a no-brainer. There was definitely, it was a power dynamic and a power move. So she would almost have to be so rooted in delusion mm -hmm. to not see that. I think it's what Aaron was saying, that, that some women matter more than others. Some people matter more than others. Yeah. And I, I think I think that that's the, she's just like, well, I, I, I think that there is delusion there, but it's a delusion of, of power. Yeah, it's just a shame. It's a mm -hmm. shame because, you it know, is. I supported her in 2016. But I think that this is one of the um, I think this is one of the reasons that she would always have in certain ways let down people who are young, who are in our generation, who have like a little bit more advanced uh, idea of like what consent is and power dynamics and. Sex. It is interesting to think about the Me Too movement under a uh, Hillary Clinton regime. Like if she was president, how I, I mean, think she would have embraced it because she is savvy. Mm -hmm. And that's why this was like such a glaring like, girl, what? Yeah. you're you're not even running for anything. Like you can say what you want now. You can really. And that's why it's like even harder because I'm like, I, I do think that this is how she feels in her heart of yeah. hearts, which is mm -hmm. like kooky mm -hmm. yeah i i do want hillary to go like Maisie hirono and just be like <laughs> fuck it i'm not gonna be the president because Maisie was born in in japan and right. she just kind of says whatever she wants which is awesome yeah uh but yeah that would be great megan if hillary was just like you know what yeah that fucking was bad it was really it was really bad and i'm i feel bad that i played a role in that mm -hmm. yeah I, that would have been amazing mm -hmm. i wish she would have done it but she didn't up next let's get on comfy with blair and z-way uh, hi, it's Z-Way. And Blair. We're here bringing you hysteria from the East Coast. It's like West Coast hysteria, but more loose. Yeah. And we're going to talk about our segment, Let's Get Uncomfy. Uncomfy. Let's say it one more time together. Let's Get, get uncomfy. uncomfy. Okay, let's get it started. So today in Sad Aggressive, we're talking about Stacey Abrams. Yes. So Stacey Abrams has become the first major party nominee for the Georgia governorship to participate in the Atlanta Pride Parade, one of the largest LGBT organizations in the Southeast. Is that crazy or is that crazy? It's extra wild because you would think that because the LGBT community is such a major voting block that people would pay more attention to it and cater more to, you know, attending events, um, acknowledging interests, but at the same time, it's also the South. So it's hard to to say. It's absolutely crazy. So this is progressive because finally someone is showing up for LGBT community and we're excited about that. That's great. But we're sad because you're right. It has been too long. It's 2018. You know, we should have had this first like several decades ago when the coal industry was still alive and booming. Absolutely. That's a subtweet at the coal industry also. <laughs> it's coming back. Believe it's it. It's not coming back and it's killing our planet. Um, unless you're a t coal, but um, if you're a coal billionaire, please um, ignore my comments. Yeah. And then, you know, sponsor us. Um, but I think money. that it's really wild, you know, in uh, in Georgia, in Atlanta, for example, there are high rates of, you know, STDs, HIV, AIDS. Totally. Um, and then also it's very difficult for organizations that are doing work around the LGBT community to get funding. And so I think that it's, you know, a step in the right direction that the LGBTQ community is being acknowledged by, you know, trailblazing progressive figures like Stacey Abrams. But it's like we also 
need additional work for the LGBT community in Georgia. Totally. Totally. And I'm glad that there's a candidate. Not that we're endorsing her. I don't know this woman at all. Honestly, I've met her. She's really Is nice. She really yeah, cool? I met her at a Planned Parenthood event. Nice. She's super sweet. Yeah, I like that she's active and she's out here. She's advocating for. She's advocating against the religious liberty bill, unlike Brian Kemp, who seems to be. He's he's supporter of like religious liberty. Yeah, which is but like for hating. LGBT. I'm Muslim, and if it was yeah. like religious liberty for me, it might go some other. Type exactly. Of way. It's people just like to hide behind this like in the Constitution to be an asshole. But yeah. you don't need to hide behind George Washington and his brown teeth. You know. Yeah. Like just stand up in your mean teeth cruelty. that were apparently stolen from a slave. Did he really? Yeah. How did they make dentures? Um, I think they just took them from black people. Just. Oh. Black people teeth. Yeah, people forget about the slavery part of the Constitution. <laughs> they really do. Oh, no, it's in the fabric. Um, speaking of the fabric, let's talk about democracy. <laughs> um, <laughs> so this is something that makes me uncomfortable. Democracy? That, not democracy, but the fact that we have candidates like Brian Kemp, who's the Secretary of State in Georgia, fighting to take away the votes of people who are allowed to vote. Yeah. And so currently there are 53,000 um, ballots are, are on hold because they don't have the exact match policy. It's garbage. It's absolutely nonsensical. It's like, it's, so for example, just for folks who don't know, if you forgot to put your middle name on your ballot or your address has changed or you, you know, have something going to a P.O. box, they'll find really any reason all day long to remove you from the voter rolls, which is a huge issue not only in Georgia, um, but all over. Totally. It's hard to even have the conversation about like about how people, Americans should vote without even talking about the way that we are disenfranchised and actively being plotted against to not vote. Poor communities, people of color, are actively being ignored by this system. And it's not cool. It's not cool. It's uncomfortable. Yeah. And, like, very much fundamentally problematic if you want us to vote for to our freedom. Exactly. And 53,000 people and all of them... 70% of them happen to be black. It's no coincidence at all. It's like if Kim Kardashian posts a selfie when Beyonce's having a concert, it's like, we see right through your actions, dude, you know? Yeah. Yeah. But on the political spectrum. Although I would argue that selfies are political. But that aside... You would think that selfies... You think selfies are political. More on that later. But that's a hill I will die on. Um, really? Yeah. So there's also, you wow. know, in Florida, for example, if you can go to Florida okay. for a second, the Voter Restoration Project, which mm-hmm. is trying to, you know, give people back the vote who have been denied it because they've been formerly incarcerated. And so I think that that is the solution. You know, in 2018, we're so focused on midterms, but in 2019, we have to be focused on these policy decisions that are going to impact people who, you know, can vote. Totally. Um, and it's it's going to be incumbent on people who do have the right to vote. Totally. To restore the right to vote for people who have been disenfranchised, like you were saying. Yeah, I think that we should have automatic voting in this country. I agree. I truly believe that. Is this? I didn't realize that was a hot take. Do you mean like but, uh, automatic voter registration? Yes, but also automatic voting for the person that I, Z-Way, approve of <laughs> only for American Idol. Um, no, I mean automatic voter registration. I think if you turn eighteen, you should be allowed to vote. If you can be tried, yeah, that's truly what I think. Yeah, if you can serve in the military, you should yeah. be you know allowed to vote. There are so many people um, who are being removed from voter rolls who are veterans. Even. I know. I know. That's why I wrote a song called Make It Clap for Democracy <laughs> to spread awareness about voting. I feel like I'm changing the world. Would you agree? I totally agree. <laughs> Don't lie to me. <laughs> <laughs> I could never tell a lie in George Washington secretly. Damn. That's a lie. Um, but yeah, I think that the next wave of our policy 
movement should be voting restoration. And we have people like it makes me so sad that people like John Lewis, who fought so you know valiantly to ensure that African-Americans have rights, um, are you know, they're still alive and we're still fighting these same struggles. Totally, totally. Yeah. Terry McAuliffe was at an event um, the other day stumping for Stacey Abrams. And he said something along the lines of like 92 eligible Americans didn't vote in 2016 election. Can we talk about something for a second? This whole voter apathy conversation, like... What do you think about that? How many tweets and texts and Facebook messages have you gotten about voting this, this uh, like, year? I've gotten one text, several tweets, lots of tweets. Tons. Like, yeah. Alyssa Milano reminding me to be politically engaged is yeah. a universe I didn't envision. But True. she's on it. I actually really appreciate all the celebrities coming out and being like, just vote, please. Is that, like, a sad, aggressive moment to you? That everyone's encouraging us. Well, this is not new, because we had the Rock the Vote movement with, uh, like, P. Diddy and Mariah Carey in, like, 03. Um, but it just feels like on a different level because democracy is literally <laughs> hangs yeah. in the balance. Yeah. Yeah. It's like, this is it. So you better come out. Don't boo vote. In the words of Obama, like you have to do it. I just saw this campaign, um, trying to encourage teens to make memes for voting. Oh goodness. And I was Pokemon like, go to the polls. Oh yeah. <laughs> I mean, I was actually down with that. You were? Yeah. Oh. I love Pokemon. I think it's you know your data, dude. It's like, it was like a data miner. But it's for freedom. Maybe. I don't know. I just think that... She's okay with abandoning her data for freedom. I mean, I'm okay with abandoning my data for Pokemon and uh, tweets, but... I know, my Twitter, God. But I think that the the argument I hear so often from people who say, if we do vote automatic voter registration, the next thing you're going to have is people swiping left or swiping right on candidates sitting from the toilet. I think that's okay. I'm okay with that. Also, Brian Kemp, let's just throw some shade at him. He was the one who supported the electronic ballot boxes in Georgia in the first place that were proven to be not safe or secure. So if we can, I bet you Tinder's more safe than that, like 1990s software they're using, you know? Definitely. So I'm okay with that. I would love to swipe right on like Sasha Obama one day. Definitely. That's my goal. (laughs) Yeah. I think that people voting from the toilet, that's like the ultimate in democracy. We can't, you know, continue to create barriers to people having their voices heard just because we have this elitist idea of what a democracy looks like. Exactly. And I also make my best decisions on the toilet. So I make my best decisions from the tub. So bathroom politics. There we go. Well, you must be really rich to have a tub in New York City. (laughs) (laughs) I'm in Brooklyn. I live across from the project, but I love my hood. This has been a political conversation about what makes us feel uncomfortable. No, I fully endorse Stacey Abrams. Yeah, she she supports Medicaid. She supports community policing. She seems like a great candidate. Definitely. Yeah. Let's go, Stacey. Let's do it. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. With the Internet's best converting checkout, 36% better on average compared to other leading commerce platforms, Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers. In fact, Shopify powers 10% of all e-commerce in the U.S. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash podcast free. All lowercase, shopify.com slash podcast free, shopify.com slash podcast free. Your business was humming, but now you're falling behind. Your teams are buried in manual work, tasks are taking forever to complete, and getting one source of truth is like pulling teeth. If this is you, then you should know these three numbers, 37,000. 
That's the number of businesses that have upgraded to NetSuite by Oracle. NetSuite is the number one cloud financial system, streamlining accounting, financial management, inventory, HR, and more. 25. NetSuite turns 25 this year. That's 25 years of helping businesses do more with less, close their books in days, not weeks, and drive down costs. One. Because your business is one of a kind. Get a customized solution for all your key performance indicators in one efficient system with one source of truth. Manage risk, get reliable forecasts, and improve margins. With NetSuite, it's everything you need to grow, all in one place. Get your business back to the greatness where it belongs. Learn more at netsuite.com slash podcast 25. The Crooked Store's latest collection has a clear message for anyone trying to take away abortion rights. Don't. The No Trespassing collection features four different designs, each inspired by a different state where abortion is under attack. There's Stay Out of My Swamp for Florida, Stay Out of My Hole for Arizona, Stay Out of My Prickly Pear for Texas, and Stay Out of My Strip for Nevada. But obviously, I'll be wearing these no matter where I am. A portion of proceeds from the collection will go to Vote Save America's F-Bands, the Fight Back Fund, which currently is supporting abortion rights organizations across Arizona, Nevada, and Florida. Head to cricket.com slash store to shop. We talk a lot about the importance of voting on this show, but not everybody has that right. In California, prisoners have their right to vote revoked for the duration of their sentence. Crooked.com editor-in-chief Brian Boitler went to San Quentin State Prison to talk to prisoners about what they think about voting. And many of them wrote personal essays sharing their thoughts on civic engagement and what it means to participate in an election. You can take a listen to his interviews on Crooked Conversations and read those essays at votesaveamerica.com slash restore the vote. Here's more on the episode. We're nearing midterm elections at breakneck speed now, and a lot of people still have not registered, and many others just won't turn out to vote. But millions of our fellow citizens don't even have the choice to begin with. Currently, six million Americans who have been convicted of felonies are prohibited from voting by their state governments. For that reason, earlier this year, I visited San Quentin State Prison in Northern California. I didn't realize how, what a voice was. I think I kind of took on the stereotype of my vote didn't matter. Before I commit my crime, I have the right to vote. I didn't value it. I didn't take it seriously until I lost it, and I realized how important it is. I look at voting as rehabilitation, as part of getting acclimated back into society. Voting feels like you're being responsible. Listen to more on Crooked Conversations. This episode is called Restore the Right, and check out votesaveamerica.com slash restore the vote to read personal essays about voting written by prisoners at San Quentin. Sounds awesome. Definitely check it out. Okay, we're back with one more segment. The Hills Will Die on this week. Um, Grace, do you want to start us off? Yeah, I got a hot take. You guys ready for this? Yes. I have had a lot of uh, food-related hills that I'm going to die on. Mm -hmm. And this week is no exception. Yay. Here's my hot take of the hill that I'm going to die on. I believe that green bell peppers are just white people jalapenos. They're the same thing. They're the same thing. They're the same thing. They're just, it's just like, I know that white people love to take all the seeds off those jalapenos and then pretend like, oh, I'm still eating jalapenos. No, you're just eating, you're just trying to eat a green bell pepper. They're the same exact thing. 
Oh my god! Great. Do you guys be- do you believe this? I so well, I, I mean was, I like green bell peppers, so it's like I'm proving your theory. I yeah. was uh, I was in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania this week visiting the hometown of a gentleman, and uh, we were having pizza, and he ordered he was like going to order it with green bell peppers, and I was like, oh, I don't like I don't like peppers, and he's like cooked for me a bunch, and he was like, wait, did you like them when I like he had this moment of like backpedaling, like lying. did you like them? <laughs> right. did you like them? Then I was like, no, 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 I did, I just don't like. I mean, they're not my favorite, they're not my choice, they're right, not my right, favorite. Right. It's sort of like something that I'll, I'll just I'll eat it, but it just always for the most part, unless it's like really well done, which it always has been when he's cooked for me, but <laughs> it's uh. I'm like, this doesn't, it, I could do without this. It's crunchy green water is what it is. It's a bad version of jalapeno. But what about red bell peppers? Red bell They're peppers the are the same t- thing. They are the same thing. They are the same. Oh, by the way, did you guys know how to tell the difference between a male bell pepper and a female I bell pepper? I don't want to know. It's, it's little, so, there's like a little thing. It's the butts. Four four butts on a bell pepper mean oh. they're women, and then three butts is women men. Peppers. I'm only gonna get female peppers. Yeah. Honestly, sometimes there's like a little hangy thing out, but that's <laughs> just like, Dirt, I guess. <laughs> I thought the dirt was a penis. I'm, I'm so grossed out by knowing the gender or the sex of my peppers. <laughs> Not me. Um, I love it. Megan, what's your hill this week? This may ruffle some feathers. Um, <laughs> babies with their ears pierced freak me out. Mm. Oh. I don't like it. I don't think they're consenting. I don't know why a baby needs its ears pierced for what sort of like look are you going for? And I know that, it, listen, every parenting choice is yours to make on your own. Mm-hmm. Um, but if you have a baby with diamond stud earrings and you give it to me, I'm going to be freaked out. <laughs> is What qualifies as baby? Just, ta- just, just like... I would say two and below. Okay, so two and above is fine? Means they have to be... It's someone that has to be held down so a gun can be thrust through their ear hole. Well, to be fair, I also had to be held down to have a gun thrust. How old were ear. you? I, I think I was in like the two-year range. Yeah, that's, I was pretty that's weird. Uh, yeah. How old were you guys? I was like 12. I really? was um, I was in third grade, and I got them pierced for my first communion so I could have little crosses in my ears. <laughs> oh, just like a little bride with cross yes, ears. Yes, exactly. And, and I had a veil. I, I, think I'm, I think I'm just too pragmatic to allow a baby to have something that small, that close to their mouth. That seems like, dumb, I yeah. wouldn't want yeah. them to, to be able to, like, choke on it. When they sleep on their little yeah. big old fat baby head and then the yeah. earring. Because they have to sleep in those earrings. Yeah. That's crazy. I yeah. think aesthetically it doesn't it doesn't bother me. Actually, what bothers me more is seeing babies in bikinis. Oh, I love a baby in a bikini. Do you? <laughs> yeah, that's so funny. I used to only wear bottoms. My mom was like, it was very French. I'm like, we lived in Indiana. But like, yeah, it was it, monokini. I would just wear the yeah. bottoms and then I would be shaking it out <laughs> there. Shimming it out. Yeah. Oh, man. I only had one pieces until I was like 13. I was so, I was like a little Amish girl. I was like, nobody well, can see my body. Too. We had a pool. So it was like, it was just my brother seeing it. Oh. And they were like, what? You know? <laughs> yeah. But I only did that till like probably three. Yeah. And then my mom was like, we got we to gotta cover up these nipples. <laughs> <laughs> okay, on that note, Megan's baby nipples. Um, so this is like stupid. I, and the, it's not cool. I don't know. I think Dave Grohl is awesome. And I'm always going to think he's awesome, even though it's like dad rock. I love the Foo Fighters. I love Dave. It's not, it's like against my brand as like a hipster shithead. <laughs> but I. But like think about Nirvana too. Dude, I, I think he's a legend. I think he's, he's a le- I love he's him. So great. If I ever met, he's one of the few people that if I ever met, 
I would be completely speechless yeah. and like not able to say anything. I just like love Dave Grohl. It's it's, it's embarrassing, but I do. I, I think that's a hill that many, many, many people would die on with yeah. you. Yeah, but I'm not cool you. people. Fuck cool people. <laughs> yeah, it's you and a lot of like men with those toe shoes. Oh, that is <laughs> what toe shoes? <laughs> well, you can see all the toes. Oh, I hate those things. Yeah, yeah, so those bad. dudes love Dave Grohl. They do. <laughs> they do. That's the meanest thing you've ever said I'm to me. I'm sorry, you look great. <laughs> have you have you, do you guys know the Instagram account Middle Class Fancy? No. No. Do you have it is okay, it is, great. It's all like dads who love great. Dave Grohl and wear the toe the toe Tucked shoes. in polos, baby. <laughs> wow. So this went from being very okay and cool to like you guys telling me why you We really just think. want you to know who else is on that hill with you. Yeah. Your demo, your target demo. That's great. Well, it's a good it's a it's a it's a lame hill. <laughs> it's a lame hill with a lot of puns as jokes. Okay. This was a really fun show. Megan and Grace, thanks for hanging out. Blair and Z-Way back in New York. And thanks again to Rebecca Traster for chatting with me about her new book, Good and Mad. And we'll have more hysteria next week. Don't take no for an I'm a girl with a mouth that's overdone. Right, cause girls just want to have fun. So Annie, get your gun. Give them what they want. It will never be enough. You can take what you want from me. Yeah, I'll say it loud and we're gonna shut you down. Your business was humming, but now you're falling behind. Your teams are buried in manual work, tasks are taking forever to complete, and getting one source of truth is like pulling teeth. If this is you, then you should know these three numbers, 37,000. That's the number of businesses that have upgraded to NetSuite by Oracle. NetSuite is the number one cloud financial system, streamlining accounting, financial management, inventory, HR, and more. 25. NetSuite turns 25 this year. That's 25 years of helping businesses do more with less, close their books in days, not weeks, and drive down costs. One, because your business is one of a kind. Get a customized solution for all your key performance indicators in one efficient system with one source of truth. Manage risk, get reliable forecasts, and improve margins. With NetSuite, it's everything you need to grow, all in one place. Get your business back to the greatness where it belongs. Learn more at netsuite.com slash podcast 25. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. With the Internet's best converting checkout, 36% better on average compared to other leading commerce platforms, Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers. In fact, Shopify powers 10% of all e-commerce in the U.S. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash podcast free. All lowercase, shopify.com slash podcast free, shopify.com slash podcast free. (laughs) 